you know, we have been on this oxygen series and we're about to get to the tail end of it. But I want to uh, challenge every one of us that Pastor T said something on Sunday, the fact that uh, the oxygen campaign is going to end sometime soon does not mean that we should stop taking in oxygen. Um, This is supposed to sort of stimulate our appetite for the word of God. Amen. And this evening we're going to be going further uh, to tackle, um, again, the subject of the word of God from another perspective. Uh, I'm quite excited this evening uh, to be discussing this perspective it's a very simple aspect to um, the Word of God, but it's one that has transformed my life as an individual. Uh, if anybody wants to find out today, you know, what are the things that, uh, the, the, the turning points in my work with God, you know, the points in my Christian uh, work where, you know, I, I encountered new depths, uh, where my Christianity took a different dimension. It, is, it borders around what we'll be discussing this evening. Amen. And uh, I hope you're as excited as I am. Uh, I have an instruction, you know, from the Holy Spirit this evening to try and approach this session like uh, like a chef who is trying to prepare a very delicate meal and has to take his time, you know, to ensure that everything is done to precision so that the people who are going to take it are going to savour that experience. Praise the Lord. So are you ready to eat? Hallelujah. Grab your Bibles. Let's get started. Um, this evening we'll be talking about studying the word. How simple can that get? Studying the word. How to study the word. And uh, I'll pick my text from the book of Matthew, chapter 13. A very popular uh, piece of scripture. And we'll be looking, we'll start from verse 3. Matthew chapter 13 from verse 3. Are you there? Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony place where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because, and they immediately sprang, sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had not, no roots, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundred fold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, I want us to go slightly further to verse 18, where Jesus then explain the parable to his disciples. Verse 18. It says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, if you have a highlighter, you have a biro somewhere with you, if you're using a, uh, <laughs> the, the written word of God, the written one, <laughs> you can underline uh, but you're using the digital Bible, just highlights. Praise God. Okay, so it said, and does not understand it. So I want you to highlight that. Does not understand it. So then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside. So, but he who receives the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. Underline the word, yet he has no root in himself. But endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. I want you to underline the word, he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Holy Spirit, we ask that you have a free course in this meeting this evening. Speak to the heart of your people, empower us, equip us this evening, that our lives may not remain the same. In Jesus' mighty name. 
Amen. Amen. So, what was Jesus trying to say in the Bible of the Sower, uh, which in my opinion is one of the greatest parables that Jesus told while he was here on earth? What was he trying to say? Uh, we all understand that Jesus spoke by parables where he tried to relate spiritual principles with uh, stories that people could relate to so that the spiritual concept that they did not that might have been difficult to communicate could be easily understood. So Jesus used the seed as an example of the word of God and used the soil as an example of our heart. So everywhere you see the seed, he was referring to the word, and everywhere you see the soil, he was referring to the heart. Now, the one that fell on stony ground did not yield results. The one that fell, that by the wayside, the one that fell... On the stony ground that did not have much root, did not yield results. The one that fell by the thorns, uh, in the midst of thorns, did not yield results. But the one that fell on good ground, uh, the one that Jesus described as good ground, you know, he said is the one that received the word and understands it. So the question is, how do we get into the word and how do we get results from the word? How do we get into the word so that we get results from the word? I find it extremely frustrating personally when I see Christians that struggle and almost make it look as if the word of God is not true. Uh, I'm talking about the first three types of Christians. Okay, I find it very frustrating because it makes God look like a liar. You know, and God is not a liar. God's word is true. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not a jot of my word will go unfulfilled. So why should Christians exist in, a, in an environment or, or, or why should Christian existence look like you know, the word of God is not true? Make it look as though the word of God is not true. Why should Christians experience make it look as though the word of God is not true? And that's what we're going to be looking at. How do I get into the word and how do I get results from the word? So let's first just quickly run through what went wrong. What are the things that we need to remove? Uh, what are the things that we need to do differently so that we can have the experience of the fourth you know, person that Jesus described, who was able to bring forth results a hundredfold. The first is you see that the guy who's received the word by the wayside is, a, is, is an example of a Christian who has uh, a poor attitude towards the word of God. Now, if you're going to get into the word of God and you're ever going to get anything out of the word of God, attitude is very important. Attitude. When you come to church, when you open your Bible at home, uh, when you're in a place of fellowship, what is your disposition towards the word of God? Are you ready? Are you open-hearted? Are you excited about the word of God? Or do you just receive it casually? Are you very casual in your approach to the word of God? Do you actually desire something? Remember Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 that we read. You know, bless the man that does not walk in the counsel of a godly. Stand in the way of sinners. Sit in the seat of the scornful. But what? He's, he's what? He's what? His delight. Delight, you know, speaks about your attitude towards the word of God. He delights. He's not, he doesn't just receive the word of God. He has a delight in the word of the Lord. Bad attitude allows the word of God to fail because we are not able to receive it. Bible said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it said, He that honors me, I will honor. He that despises me, I will likely esteem. When I honor the word of God, God honors me. So when I'm approaching the word of God, do I approach the word of God with honor? How do I approach the word of God with honor? Is the word of God the final authority in my life? Do I receive the word of God as a commandment or do I receive it as a suggestion? Do I receive the word of God as an instruction or do I receive it as an advice? When I go into the word or when I sit in church and the word of God is coming forth, am I taking it as, well, the pastor is just giving me suggestions of what I might do or am I opening my heart and saying, God, speak to me, instruct me, guide me by your word. Do I, make a, am I, do I make a conscious commitment to receive the word of God and delight in his instructions or not? Hallelujah. Let's quickly move on to the second person, you know, who is the guy that lacks understanding. And a lot of us fall into this category. This is, you know, um, a case where you... You're, you're in church, you receive the word. At the point when the word comes, you're excited. You're happy. You know, so we declare a night of increase. This is going to happen. That is going to happen. God's word has said this. God's word has said that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. I receive it. I'm excited that God can do this. 
you know, but that is where it ends. There's no depth. We don't go further to begin to sit down around that word and begin to soak it in and allow it to become a reality in your spirit. And because of that, what happens is it does not produce. Because situations will not always immediately align with your expectations. You need to put pressure on the word. You need to stay with the word. And so people who find themselves in a situation where I received the word, I believe it, but I cannot stay with it. You cannot continue in the word. You cannot stand in the word even when situations look contrary because you lack understanding. You don't understand the, the working of the word. Your mind gets in the way. Your, your prior knowledge interferes. Then you are not able to get results from the word as well. And people who have this attitude towards the word are people who do just Sunday and Wednesday church. They don't have their own personal fellowship with God. They don't, they, don't, they don't commit to studying the word. They don't commit to diving deeply into the word to get truths, to get a deeper understanding of what God, a personal revelation of what God means by what he has said. Amen. And so in the midst of challenges, they're not able to draw from you know, the well of revelation and their experiences and encounters with God to be able to triumph. And Jesus said, you know, this is unfortunate because actually when they received the word, the word was already budding in their hearts. But they did not give it, they didn't feed it because they didn't understand. They didn't give it more attention. They didn't grow it. They didn't nurture it. And because they did not do that, they lost out. Okay? I don't want to dwell on this. That's why I'm moving quickly. Okay? The second challenge with people who, have, who lack understanding is people who approach the word of God with already, you know, with a mindset. There's already a mindset you have. When God looked at Abraham and said to Abraham, you're going to have a wife, you're going to have a baby. The Bible said Sarah was behind the tent and she laughed. You know, this is not possible. We have people who have that attitude towards the word of God. They look at the word, they look at their circumstance, and they feel it can't happen. In some instances, it is actually our culture. The Bible says that the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. Okay? The traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. There are people that feel, man, you cannot be prosperous in Nigeria if you are not corrupt. Praise the Lord. Okay? There are people that have certain mindsets that I, you know, I met an elderly man some time ago, a Christian, who, who said to me, uh, elderly people can't change. He said, like, they're like sti- uh, he said they're like stiff trees. And when you try to bend a stiff piece of wood, it breaks. It doesn't bend. So when someone like that sits under the word, he's not planning to change. He's not planning to renew his mind. Abraham changed. Abraham transformed. But this man was telling me, no, when you're an old man, you can't change anymore. It's the young people that can change. I've, I've not found any portion of scripture that says that, you know, when old men behold the word, they are not transformed. You know, so when people approach the word of God with a mindset, a mindset about marriage, mindset about raising children, mindset about running business, mindset about prosperity, mindset about all of those kind of things, the word of God is not able to have free course because the way your mind is set at re- makes you resist the word of God, makes you resist the counsel of God. Okay? Philip looked at Jesus. Jesus said, you know, let the people sit down. Let us feed them. He said, what do we have? Three loaves of fish and five bread. Philip said, what is that among so many? I can't comprehend. What are we going to do? What exactly do you think you want to do, Jesus? Don't you understand mathematics? Five thousand. Three loaves of <laughs> and two fish. What exactly is it? What do you want to do? You want to divide it? You know? Mindset. Mindset. The third category, and as I say this, I want you to begin to put yourself, you know, just, just ask yourself, where am I? Where am I? The third category are people who are distracted. The Bible says that this one fell on. The soul was good. Had very good potential. The heart is right. Because the seed brought forth. But the Bible says that it was in the midst of what? Tons. It says the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches. What I find very interesting, particularly these days, is the, the potency of distractions when it comes to the word of God. There's so much noise out there. There is so much noise out there. Voices. Voices. Several years ago, God told me something that was very interesting, and it was very useful for me. He said, there's too much noise in your head. You can't hear me clearly. 
there's CNN, there's newspaper, you know. There are all sorts of movies and interesting comedies that you have watched that you are replaying in your head. There's too much noise. You can't hear me. Distractions. You know, if you have a fertile soil, a heart that is, that is tender and sensitive towards God, but the ratio of the world to the ratio of everything else you are consuming is low, there will be noise in your head. Praise the Lord. There will be noise in your head. There will be noise in your head. You will not be able to hear God clearly. God will not be able to speak to you as expressly as he would love to because as you are growing these things, a lot of things that are also growing, that are distracting you. And the Bible says that, you know, the cares of this world, they are not necessarily sin. They are just things that take your attention away from the word of God. And if they take their attention away from the word of God, the word of God will not grow and flourish and bring forth fruit. So he says he becometh unfruitful. You know, it's different if you are not fruitful. This guy becomes unfruitful. He becometh. And that's why I asked you to underline that portion. He became unfruitful. He had the potential to be fruitful. He was on the path of fruitfulness, but he, he got distracted and he became unfruitful. He became unfruitful. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 10. He said there are, it may be so many, King James Version, I love it. He said there are many kind of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. There are all kinds of voices. So who you listen to will determine the direction your life will head. Another interesting thing about distraction is um, there's something I, I call appetite stimulants and appetite destroyers. I remember mentioning this some time ago. How many of us have eaten walnuts before? Walnuts. You know walnuts? Raise your hand now. Walnut. It doesn't sound too If I said uh, chocolate from uh, whatever, you raise your hand now. Walnut. You know walnut tastes very nice, isn't it? Tastes very nice. But when you finish taking walnut and you drink water, what does, what does water taste? Bitter and horrible. There are certain things that they, they are like appetite destroyers. So what happens is, you know, when you take those things, they may not necessarily be, they, 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 they sort of kill your appetite for the word. They don't encourage you. They don't stimulate your appetite for the word. They don't make you want to go and study the word. The more you take it, the less interest you have in the word of God. They are appetite destroyers. And you need to identify those things because those are the things that that distract you from the word. And they make you become unfruitful. So I call them spiritual walnuts. That make the water of the word bitter in your mouth. I think it would be better for you to take spiritual stimulants. Isn't it? Things that after you have experienced them, they make you desire and crave the word. They create a stimulation for going into the place of fellowship and worshiping God. Okay? Another key thing is that when, when you are in that kind of mood, you cannot hear God. And because you cannot hear God, things that revelation, specific instruction that God wants to give you, you can just miss out on them. Because there's so much noise in your head. Tell your neighbor you need to keep quiet. Upstairs. <laughs> Amen. You need to keep it quiet there. There's too much going on there. There was a year when there was um, uh, Paloma. How many of you remember Paloma? My goodness. I will never. Paloma was an epidemic in my office. If Paloma started showing before people close, they won't close again. Uh, they will watch the Paloma and then go home because they don't want to be on the road while Paloma is showing. If they were closing before Paloma, they will race home like they were. They were on drugs, so that they can get home before Paloma starts showing. I'm like, can you have that same kind of attitude towards the world? How come you did not miss that series? Not one single episode. Huh? But the word, traffic. I'm so tired. You will not wait in the office to study the word before you go. You don't get to study the word immediately you get home. But if it's Paloma, you will do that. So, a lot of times I realize that it's not that we cannot structure our lives to accommodate the things that are important. It's how distractions have made us misplace our priorities. Okay? The other thing is, uh, that happened to this guy is alternatives. You know, alternatives is one of the most subtle weapons of the enemy. An alternative is not something that comes easily across as is wrong. It's just that it replaces the more important thing. So Martha and Mary were with Jesus. Martha was going to serve Jesus, and there was nothing wrong with serving Jesus. You have an august visitor in your house. You're supposed to take care of him, isn't it? But Jesus was sharing some very, very important truths, and Mary sat at his feet. Martha was busy trying to serve Jesus. And Jesus was serving and saying, Martha, Martha, 
You need to focus on the things that matter. Jesus was the first rapper. <laughs> matter, matter, focus on the things that matter. Okay? That only one thing is needful. Mary has found it. And it will not be taken from her. Only one thing is needful. How is that? You know, I'm going to get into some aspect of the study of the word that I hope will actually bring something out of you. Because when I study the word, I try to you know, notice keywords. When Jesus says, one thing is needful. As a Christian, one thing. One, 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 one. Not ten things. The one thing is needful. Just one. He said, Mary has found it. And I'm not going to be the one to discourage her from, from, from focusing on it. Because this is the one thing that is needful. If you are going to bring forth fruit a hundredfold, one thing is needful. Sit at my feet and soak in the word. Amen. So it's interesting how we miss out on this uh, 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 very significant principle of flourishing as a believer. The apostles, again, alternatives. Hebrew women, they started grumbling after the church started experiencing revival. And Peter came up and said, see, I understand we need to look into the logistics of serving food and making sure that everybody's catered for. He said, but it does not make sense for us to leave the word of God and do what? And start serving tables. It does not make sense. So appoint people who are going to do this and do this and do this, but we are going to give ourselves continually to what? The ministry of the word and prayer. So alternatives are very subtle. You can be... There was a day myself and Pastor T were gisting and were talking. I was like, you know, a lot of people feel because they're in church office, it's a spiritual environment. So the word just soaks into you. You don't have to study. <laughs> you can be in church office and you backslide. <laughs> but it's true. You can be a worker, you can be the secretary to Pastor God. <laughs> and you backslide. Because the word of God won't, won't be seeping into you because uh, you're in church office. Or because you are close to Pastor, because Pastor Goldman studied in the morning and he gave you a hug in the morning, he will not transfer some of the word into you. You can be there, busy organizing, sending mails, responding to mails, you know, coordinating uh, cluster outlines, receiving phone calls on behalf of Pastor, and backslide there. <laughs> so it's not it's not about where you are functioning. So I'm saying whether you're head usher, head protocol, head multimedia, head. Uh, choir leader and all of that. It doesn't, it's not an alternative to studying the word. Do you understand? That was why Peter said, it is not meet for us to leave the word of God and start serving tables. We will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. I was not also interested that when I was asking for people who are going to be appointed as deacons, said find people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, somebody that's full of wisdom. Wisdom is also the word of God. So they were not looking for a logistic manager. They were looking for spirit-filled people. Amen. So alternatives are very subtle, and we find ourselves suddenly at times saying, oh, my job, my job, it's so demanding. Then do something. Work something around it. There can never be an excuse. Wake up in the middle of the night, wake up early in the morning, um, run to the toilet while you're in your office, do something. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, so if you understand that, we don't have an excuse for following the first three categories, then what did the fourth person do? What was his attitude towards the word of God? First thing, like I said earlier, Psalm 1, verse 1, to 3, he delighted in the law of the Lord. Taking personal delight in the law of the Lord. Creating an emotional connection. A passionate desire for the word of God. David said, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. I cherish it more than my necessary meals. He said it's sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. It takes that deliberate commitment to make the word of God uh, pleasurable. I was recently speaking to a lady who um, had um, some uh, medical issues and was had to meet a dietitian at the hospital and all of that. And they suddenly prescribed a regimen of diet for her. So she cannot take pepper anymore like that. Um, salt anymore, um, palm oil, out of the question. They knocked off a lot of things. And this was somebody that typically likes to do all of those kind of things. And a couple of weeks down the line, you know, I asked her, I said, how is it? He said, the first few uh, weeks, it was horrible, you know. I was struggling to 
eat. I didn't like it. He said, but now, I've sort of acquired the taste. You know? And I'm, I'm fine. I'm used to it. I'm surprised that, you know, I used to find, um, you know, the other type of meals I prepared before, you know, as the only option I had. It's okay. And that's what happens. At times we feel, oh, you know, you're studying the word. What is there about it? It's because you have not, you've not taken an adventure in the word. You have not taken an adventure. You are mixing it with too many things. You know, it's like you take uh, a small bowl of spinach and a, a jar of ice cream. You always continue to want the ice cream, isn't it? The word of God is not spinach. <laughs> I'm just giving you an example. You understand what I'm trying to say? So the, 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 the thing is you need to create an appetite for the word, delight in the word of the Lord. And the way to do that is to make, create, uh, make it fun. Make it, make it a, an enriching experience, studying the word. And that's where I'm, where I'm going to you know, end this discussion this evening. How do I dive into the word of God? How do I study the word? Okay, how do I put myself in a position where I can constantly dig deep into the word, nourish my heart, and flourish you know, in, my, in my life? Because the truth is, what Jesus was saying is that the results you get in your life is a function of how much you allow the word of God to take root. And when I say results, I'm not just talking about an aspect of your life. You know, somebody was saying to me the other day that uh, his spouse was criticizing him for his lifestyle and that she felt that if he doesn't stop that lifestyle, he will not prosper. But he has proven her wrong. After all, he has not stopped the things he wanted her to stop and he's still okay. And I said to him, but you don't even want to be a Christian. Say you are just having a Christian that is doing one or two things and you feel, well, I'm doing that and I'm prospering. I said, even people are not Christian are prospering more than you. I said, so the way you are doing it, I said, you can even go out and not be a Christian. I'm not, it, being, there are people that are not Christians that have financial prosperity. Am I correct? So that's not what we're talking about. Salvation, like Peter said last Sunday, is not just about making money. It's total salvation. Your health, your soul, your spirit. That you also live a life that is relevant to heaven. Amen. So you don't want to come and start telling us, oh, you know what, but I'm prosperous financially, so why do I? We're not talking about just having cash. We're talking about you are saved. That as, you're, as you have money, you are guaranteed, your health is guaranteed. That you are not the devourable type of human being. That the devil can pack up in a minute. Praise the Lord. That you are usable. That you raise goodly children. That your life will be a model and a light to your generation. So how do we do that? First is, we need to have the discipline of setting aside time and place to study. The things that we do consistently in our lives, the things we do consistently in our life, we set up a routine around it. Your work. Anything you do consistently in your life, you, set up, you have to plan it. Or somebody has planned it for you and helped you to fit into that plan. So if you're not very deliberate about setting up a place and a time where you study the word of God, it will not happen by default. If you're always waiting until you've done everything else to have time for the word, you will never be consistent studying the word. That is the truth. So breaking news, if that is your style, that's why you're not having results. Set a time and place. The same way you resume at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, whatever time you resume, have a resumption time with God and his word. Amen. How long it is at this point is not the issue. It is establishing a routine. Now, if you've done that, the next thing for you to do is to ensure that you deliberately develop a study program you know, for yourself. So what do you want to do? So that when you get, when you get into God's presence, you are not, you are not, you don't, you are not empty of ideas. What, what am I supposed to do? Like Peter said on Sunday, do I just open the Bible to any verse and begin to read? You can start by picking a book of the Bible and you take it book by book. You can decide to do a topical study. You know, I want to know more about this and I want to pick this topic and I want to study it over the next three, four weeks so that I can know more about it. What that does for you is that it makes it very interesting and engaging because you are researching something. You are learning more about something. If it's a book of the Bible you want to complete, you're, you're saying to yourself, I want to study this book. I want to understand exactly what God was, has in mind for me in this book, what this book is about. So you're focused. You have, you're, 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 you have a plan. You have a reason 
for going in there. I want to finish this book. I want God to speak to me about this book. I want God to speak to me from this book. I want to know what this book is all about. Amen. So what materials do you need? You need, you need your concordance. I'm sure some people are wondering what a concordance is. <laughs> you need a concordance. A concordance is like, uh, uh, it's like a book that contains a lot of um, all the words in the Bible with references to the place where they are, you know, where they are written. Okay? You need a dictionary. You need different translations of the Bible. You need a notebook to take your notes uh, and to write down the things that God reveals to you. I'll share something with you. The first time I sat down, I was still in secondary school, and I studied the word with my Byron paper and got a revelation I wrote down. I remember taking that notebook to school and showing many of my Christian friends that I got a revelation from the word of God. Because as I started writing, God just kept on speaking to me. And I felt what I wrote was fresh from heaven. I felt that I had the Holy Spirit speaking because I was willing to write down my thoughts as I was studying. And it, it, it was the material that I cherished for a long time. And it encouraged me to do that. So it's important when you go into your place of study to have some sort of notes that you want to keep of the things that God is saying to you. Because as much as you might try, you're not likely to remember everything. But let me quickly move on to the various stages of study. I think this will really bless you a lot. Uh, apart from going through topical studies and book by book study. There are three stages of study that will help you to maximize your study experience. You know. So we've taken all the obstacles out of the way. What are the three stages of your Bible study? The first stage is what I call observation. And let me explain what I mean. A lot of times you can carry your Bible and you are reading. But what you are doing is you are actually reading. You are not studying. You know. And I say this to people, apology to anybody who may not understand what I'm trying to say here, but I just want to stress this. Your objective should not be just to finish the Bible. Your objective is to put yourself in a position where God can speak to you from his word. So, uh, reading through the Bible is a good thing, but that may not necessarily be what you need to do. You know, because I, I, I constantly ask myself, did Paul finish the Bible? The Bible was not even fully written when Paul was around, and the man was full of revelations. The disciples of Jesus didn't have the opportunity to read the New Testament, but they were full of revelations. So, I'm not saying you should not finish reading the Bible if you have, you know, the discipline and the commitment to do that, but focus more on studying, studying. Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. So, how do you study? The first thing is observation. What do I mean by observation? If you are a good student of the Bible, what you will notice is that you will see more in any text you study than other people. So, I, I pick a text of the Bible, and I'm looking at it. A good student of the Word will see more. You know why? Because he will do the following things. First is... He will select keywords. As I'm studying the word, I'm studying a chapter of the Bible. There are keywords that will be jumping out at me. The key things that are being said in that text begin to come out. And my, my, my responsibility in studying is to begin to note them. Okay, okay. Number two, you identify specific instructions and commands. Specific instructions and commands. So you note keywords. You identify specific instructions or commands. Number three, you will locate promises. So I'm looking at it, I'm saying, yeah, this is a promise. This is an instruction. This is not an advice. God is saying to us that we should do this. Number four, you will look out for contrasts, paradoxes, and comparisons. I find that always very interesting as I study the word of God. When I begin to look at the text, you see contrasts. You know, as the word of God compares and contrasts, you know, things that, you know, uh, like saying things like, you know, a, a good tree will not bring forth a bad fruit. What is he trying to say? Certain things are impossible. If you're a good tree, you cannot bring forth bad fruit. You said the same fountain cannot bring forth fresh and salt water. Things like that. Paradoxes, like we look not at the things that are seen. You know, how do you look at things that you can't see? You know, how do we not look at things that are seen? We look at things that are not seen. And those things begin to challenge you to, to think deep and say, what exactly is God saying? When you just gloss over, we look at the things that are seen. A lot of people just say, oh, we walk by faith, not by sight. What is he saying? If he's saying, I walk by faith, not by sight, it's interesting because he's saying, I should not walk by things that I see. I should walk by things I cannot see with my natural eyes. What are the things I cannot see by my natural eyes? The word of God. So even if I'm going and, you know, they're saying all sorts of things to me in my office, I choose to walk by faith. What has God said to me? And not by what I'm experiencing. 
Okay, so you take note of paradoxes, contrasts, and comparisons. When God compares certain things to certain things, you take note of those things in your text and you begin to meditate better on them because you want to really get the gist of what God is saying. Number five is you note emphasis. The things that are being emphasized. So, a good observer, the first stage in your study is observation. As you study the text, you begin to observe what are the keywords. What are specific instructions and commands that God has issued? Uh, what are the promises that God has also uh, made in this portion of the scripture? What are you know, contrast, paradoxes, comparisons? And then what are the things that he has emphasized? And then you want to highlight all those observations. The next stage is the interpretation stage. So I've made these observations. The second thing, what do they mean? How do I know what they mean? Without running with all sorts of funny uh, Revelation in quotes, you know. And the first rule of the thumb when it comes to interpretation of the word of God is always interpret the scripture in the light of other scriptures. Bible says that no prophecy is of private interpretation. So you must interpret scripture in the light of scripture. So if you're trying to establish a meaning to those things you've observed, what scripture helps you to throw more light on it? That's where you need a concordance. Okay? So you want to check the meaning of the words in the dictionary. You want to use the concordance to find other places where that particular word is used again so that you can, you can understand, you know, understand it better. You want to read commentaries in your Bible. If you're using Bibles like Dick's Annotated Bible and all those Bibles that have uh, uh, commentaries, you want to read those commentaries because they throw more light on the subject. Okay? Um, you want to also use different translations because if you're using a different translation, it can help you to better understand exactly what is being said. So at that point, what you're saying is, I've observed the following things, but I want to be able to clearly interpret them. What are they saying to, to me? Okay? Uh, of course, another thing you need to do is to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit for insight. You know, you know Lord, what, what exactly is this? What is the meaning of this? There are times when you would have issues come at you while you're studying and you're not able to at that point when you're studying fully understand and, and, and interpret what it is. But you keep, you know, rolling it over your heart, rolling it over your heart and the Spirit of God will at some point, I don't know whether you've experienced that before, you just have clarity. You know, it may be that you're sitting at the church service, maybe you're listening to a tape, you may even be doing something that is very, you know, mundane. Like having your bath in the morning or something. And light will just come and you receive clarity because you're chewing on that scripture. Uh, there, was this, there was a message pastor preacher was talking about the ruminant that goes, the animal that has four stomachs, to go chew, uh, and then after chewing grass for a while, he lies down, and then he regurgitates what he has uh, chewn, and then he chews it a second time. The second time is called chewing the cord, and it, that's when he digests it. So uh, the other thing, the seventh thing you can do is also to then buy books and listen to messages that throw more light on that subject. What I find with Christians at times is that we're not very uh, deliberate when we are buying materials. We just walk into the bookshop. I just, uh, you know, look for any interesting title. So I'm not buying a book that speaks to me in this particular season of my life. What am I studying about? What do I need more insight on? What, what kind of messages should I be listening to? Now that we've been talking about the word, the word, the word, you know, you want to know more about the word. You want to, you want to understand more about the dimensions of God's word. You go to a bookshop and buy books that speak about the word of God. You want to know more about financial prosperity, go and buy books. So as you're studying the word and you're trying to interpret the things that you've observed, the literature you have bought and the CDs that you have bought help to expand your understanding. You know, I mean, it will give credit to fantastic men of God that have today helped us to understand, you know, the principles of faith. You know, they, they, they gave us, the rest of us, speed in our understanding and comprehension, excuse me, of the word of God. The final phase of your study is application. Now, this is where a lot of people then terminate. So you have observed, you have interpreted, and then people run with that. So I've observed, I've interpreted, let me go and preach it to my friends. You know, let me go and show them I have revs. Let me show them, you know, God spoke to me. Come on, I'm looking for the next opportunity to preach. Uh, when you do that, what you do is like a, you are like aborting that process. The next question you ask is, how does it work? And that's what I found in the, the, the guy you see in, we call that application, the guy that you saw in the Matthew chapter 13. 
the guy that had a hundredfold result, you know, he walked the word. He didn't just understand it, he walked the word. So he brought forth food. So the question you ask yourself is, how does this work for me in my situation? What I've observed and now understand, how do I apply it in my life? What are the questions you want to ask yourself? What should I do? Now that I know this, what should I do? What should I stop doing? What decisions should I begin to make? What should I pray about? How should this affect my prayer? When you're studying and you don't get to the point where it all crystallizes into that, you're not, you not done. So let's take, for instance, um, Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. A scripture I want to assume is easy to use because everybody here should know it by now, isn't it? So it says, What blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, does not stand in the way of sinners, and sits in the seat of scornful. So if you want to run through this process, how do you study the word? Take that scripture. I want to be blessed. Amplified version says, Can you put up that scripture, the amplified version? Okay? Empowered to prosper, favored, and all of that. I know I want to be that kind of person. He said, happy, fortunate, prosperous, enviable. So I know that that is what I want, isn't it? But he says, it's the man that does not do what? Walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So I note that I'm not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners. How do I stand in the way of sinners? Those are the questions you begin to ask yourself. What does it mean to stand in the way of sinners? He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. How do I not sit in the seat of the scornful? Who are the scornful? I go to my call corners. Scornful. What do scorners do? Where are they found? What are the characteristics of scorners? What are the symptoms of being a scorner? In case I'm wearing this, I'm scorning people. True. You understand? I do not sit in the seat of scornful. And then he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So I know there are some kind of people I should not associate with. He has defined them. Ungodly. I should not take ungodly counsel. I should not stand in the path of sinners. I should not associate, you know, put myself on the path that sinners, you know, walk. I should not sit in the seat of his comfort. But I should delight in the law of the Lord. So the question is, okay, what is the law of the Lord? I know it's his word. How do I delight in the law of the Lord? Now, what I'm saying to you is, you can take those first three verses of, of Psalm and meditate on it for in fact, I did it for two months. Plus, more than two months. I, was, I can't remember when. It was just that scripture, Psalm 1. Just keep reading it and thinking about it. Reading it and thinking about it. That is studying. To milk that scripture. So, my delight is in the love of the Lord. I'm supposed to delight in the love of the Lord. How do I delight in the love of the Lord? How do I meditate in it day and night? Those are not suggestions. Those are not advice. The instructions, praise the Lord. But what happens at times is we're not investing ourselves. So when you observe those things, you then interpret them. What do they mean? Now, if I understand what they mean, then the next thing is how do I apply them to my life? What decisions do I begin to make from there? Now, that is how somebody like David meditated on the word of God. Because he actually wrote that portion of scripture. And he said, oh, how I love your Lord. It's sweeter than honey. Because when I sit around it like that and I go through that process, it just begins to pour out to me. I just begin to get the depth. I, I get wiser. I get more insights because I'm asking questions. If you notice those three stages I've talked about, it's about probing, observing, asking questions, interpreting what does it mean, and then, you know, applying. What do I do? Now, until we move away from, let me just read uh, Genesis, Exodus, da, 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 and I'm going through it like that because they said we should read it in church too. I want to study the word. I want the word to, I want to soak in the wisdom of God. And I may not even finish a chapter. It's fine. But I will sit around it and say, God, speak to me. What are you saying? What does it mean? How should it shape my attitude? Or how should it impact the way I pray? How should it impact the way I relate with my neighbor? What, what, what is, what, what, um, difference with this making my life. We begin to then see the word of God come alive. The spirit of God begin to speak more to us and it begins to reveal a lot more to us. It then also makes it very easy for you to begin to meditate because you are, you are so invested in the word, you are asking questions from your heart. You know, um, 
Bible says the Holy Spirit is a revealer of the word of God. Is a revealer of the counsel of God. And it's not, that revelation is not the exclusive preserve of a particular class of people in the kingdom. That is his ministry. Jesus said he will reveal to you all truth. He will bring you to remembrance of the things that have to, to, taught you. So he, he, the Holy Spirit is not looking at your face to say, this one is deserving of revelation. That was not really deserving of revelation. He wants to empower you. He wants to reveal the will of God to you. But you are not going to find those things at the surface. Bible says deep call it unto deep. There's a portion of scripture I found very interesting. I think it was Solomon was speaking in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. He said, I said I'll be wise. He said, but it was far from me. So, you know, wisdom is not just something you glean at the surface. Those things, God has, you know, the, the, the deep things of God are found in a place of, you know, dedicated study. So if you want to bring forth fruit a thousand, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, whatever fold. Jesus gave us a prescription. Matthew chapter 13, and I encourage you to read that portion of scripture again. He said, the one that brings forth fruit, he stays with the word. He develops root. Developing root means you are staying there. You understand it. You apply it. You interpret it correctly. And you, you, you develop such level of understanding in the application of that principle and of that word that you begin to bring forth fruit. And people like that, it doesn't matter the storms that come. It doesn't matter the challenges because they have such depth in the world. They are unshakable. There are just some things you know. You know, on Sunday I was <laughs> trying to uh, help clarify, I think it was two Sundays ago, the difference between faith and optimism. And I said uh, the definition of optimism is what Arsenal fans have at the beginning of premiership. You know, where, where, you know, at the beginning of every premiership, every season, Arsenal fans believe they will win. Is that correct? That is optimism. You know, he has no substance. There's no assurance. There's no nothing. It's just, yeah, and they will say, we win, we win. But they never really, in recent times, win. And this is in the belief they will win again. But you see, the difference between optimism and faith is that faith has substance. Now, optimism is good because it makes you positive and hopeful, you know. But you see, if you are running on optimism, you are alone. You run the risk of disappointment because Bible didn't say, you know, uh, God will grant your, you know, opt- God will honor your optimism, you know. So some people have a positive outlook. It's good, but there should be substance to it. And Bible says faith is the substance of things. So for now, the difference between optimism and faith is that when I have faith, you know, it is based on something that is revealed to me from God's word that assures me that what I'm believing God for is going to happen. And for you to have faith, you must have the word. And for you to have the word, you must study the word. So the process is, I study the word, I get faith into my spirit because the word of God is like a container of faith. When the word of God begins to enter your heart, boom, boom. It releases that supernatural spiritual energy called faith. Your heart begins to, you know, it's like a spiritual force, a creative force of God. And once you have faith on the subject, you are on your way to the manifestation of the result of that thing, isn't it? So the process is study, get faith, get results. Study, get faith, get results. You can go two steps further to say, be optimistic, study, <laughs> get results. Praise the Lord. But if you do optimism to get results, you are running a risk because you are placing yourself in a position where there is no guarantee of results. Praise the Lord. So this evening, all I want to say as I wrap up is, I want us to reshape our attitude towards the word of God and make a fresh commitment. I trust that as we commit ourselves to this process, the spirit, we will encounter God in unique ways. I I I want to challenge you because I experienced it personally in my life. You know, where the word of God literally comes alive. There are times you are studying and you just get up from where you are and begin to just pace uh, the room. Because it's just, God is just talking. He's just talking. He's just talking. And your heart is catching fire. You know what I mean? And you can't take it sitting down anymore. You're just pacing and putting it in your pocket. And, you know, someone looking at you will think you have gone crazy. But it's because the word of God is coming. You're, you're asking questions and he's answering you. You know? And that is... You know, it's those dimensions of uh, impact that we trust that the word of God will begin to have in our lives. Amen. When you come out from those kind of experiences on a daily basis, you will do, you will do more than Paloma for the word of God. 
Seriously. They won't be begging you to study. You would, you would press into God's presence and commit to the place of study. And finally, I want to challenge you. Some of us have stayed at a particular level for too long. It's, interest, it's okay for you to say, I'm starting, I do 15 minutes of study. I do. You see, there's a point in your life where it's, you, you can watch a two-hour movie without problem, but you cannot study for two hours the word of God. God is calling you, it's a, God is calling you to deeper things. So, if you want to get the best of God, you also need to make yourself available. He said, if you honor me, I will honor you. So, you know, if you started with 30 minutes two years ago, why are you still doing 30 minutes of study? I'm challenging you now, make greater commitments. You may not be able to devote so much time every day, but if you have seasons when you just step aside and say, you know what, this season, I'm going to, I've noticed that I, I can, you know, clear my schedule. I'm going to have, I'm going to devote more time to studying the word of God. I'm going to spend social number of hours every night, social number of hours every morning, and be, and be available to God. And God will begin to show you things. I constantly marvel at the kind of revelation that David had. If you read the book of Samuel, it just blows you away. How does a mind get to that level? You read some things and you would almost, if you come back to reality and realize that this was written by a man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you'll be amazed at how he got to that level of depth. And it was because of meditation and study. Praise the Lord. It's a new day. Amen. I wanted the choir to just do that wonderful song they did on Sunday. Is anybody ready to do that for us this evening as a celebration of the awesomeness of the word of God as we close this evening? Has anybody been blessed? Let's put our hands together and just appreciate God. He's awesome. Multimedia, I hope you are ready to help us beam the lyrics of the song.